Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. If you would join me in your Bible or your Bible app or the Pew Bible in front of you, our text today comes from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14. Verses 25 through 33. If you would join with me there, let us hear together the word of the Lord for us today. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and he said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to to finish it, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish Or what king going out to wage war against another king will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the others are still far away, he sends out a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? So, Almighty Lord, we find ourselves once again here at the beginning of a week a week full of possibilities and opportunities. And we have gathered here on this holy ground seeking your wisdom, seeking your guidance, seeking a good word from you. So speak. For we eagerly listen. And as we listen and as you speak, O Lord, may our hearts be open to you so that we would be transformed and leave this time together and enter this week not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your Son's holy name we pray. Amen. So I think that it's fair to say that a true sports fanatic, a true sports fan, is a rare breed and an interesting breed of human being. I mean, think about the ones that have the whole costume where they're going to go to a live event and they've got a whole outfit that they put on with accoutrements and makeup and everything else and signs, and they go there hardcore. Or then if you think about, say, the Green Bay Packers, those super fans that they have, it does not matter how cold it is outside, that the frozen tundra is there. There's always that one guy that captures the TV camera sitting there in the stadium without a shirt on. 
or those fans that pull for their team no matter what heartache may come. Some that may have waited 96 years to watch their team win the last game of the season. The championship game. They're truly a special breed, and I think of them, and I think of my friend Tony McCullough. I met Tony about 30 years ago. Tony is a super fan. He is a football fan specifically, and his team is Carolina, and I don't mean the baby blue school, I mean the garnet and black school. He is a Gamecock through and through. And Tony kept saying to my wife, and I said, Mary, you, know, you and Mary ought to come see a game with us one weekend. And finally, our schedules aligned, and we sort of arranged that we were going to go down to Columbia with he and his family to watch the game. And Tony stopped by the house the week before, and he brought us a big grocery sack. And in the grocery sack were pom-poms, T-shirts, a cassette tape of the cheers and the fight song so that we would have it memorized. He's a bit of a fan, did I tell you? And so we go to the game, and, is, and you know, is, is, he's a big tailgater, so we started early in the day, and what I found out is in his section of, sort of the tailgate wonderland, he is the mayor. He knows everybody, and Tony's got this ritual, this sort of liturgy of its own right, and so it got to be about, you know, 30 minutes before game time, and he looks at his watch, and he goes, it's time, because we've got to get in our seats before the team hits the field, before the national anthem, and as we're walking across the parking lot into the stadium, he turns to us and his children, who were various teenagers and young adults, he says, now remember, and before he could finish, they parroted back, we stay all four quarters, no matter what. Mary looked at me and I said, yes, honey, we're staying all four quarters, no matter what. I mean, this was almost a sacred text for him. Kids, we stay all four quarters. I think Tony, it's fair to say, is committed. He's a Gamecock fan, season in and season out, win or lose, you can find him there all four quarters. Today's text I just read out of Luke's gospel, what happens is, is it helps us think about how we might be seen as disciples. Are we really followers? Are we super fans, if you will, of the one who loves us most? Now, a bit of context, Jesus' ministry is off and running. It started well. He has called his first disciples, he's called the twelve, and he's beginning to teach them. Now imagine this, now think about this in the context of today's world. In a day in which there wasn't the internet, a 24-hour news cycle, instant communication, before there was TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and even Twitter, Jesus had a following exploding exponentially. People heard about him, heard they were coming to his town, and they flocked to see what he might do. They followed him from town to town. And so as he's gaining this sort of impressive following, he sees these crowds gathered around him in the day's text and he offers up this teaching on the cost of discipleship. He wants everyone that's following him to understand what is being asked and expected of them, that this is not a fad, this is not a trend, this is a lifelong lifestyle that he is calling them to. And I think the lesson here for us, especially during the season of Lent, as we contemplate our relationship with God and our practice of faith, 
is to recognize that there is a call and a cost and a commitment that's being asked of us. That the heart of a disciple is one that is committed to God. So it starts with this idea of call. Now, I think it's fair to say that not one of us became a follower of Jesus. We didn't just kind of out of the blue wake up and say, you know, I think I'll follow Jesus. No, instead, we were called to follow Jesus. It's this idea of a calling. A vocari is a Latin word. It means to call. It's a response to an intentional act. So think about Jesus' first disciples. He gets his, he sort of has his mandate. He starts to walk along the Sea of Galilee and he sees Peter and Andrew out in the boats fishing and he calls them and he says, come out of the boat. Leave your nets. I'll teach you to be fishers of men. They walk along a little further, Jesus and Peter and Andrew, and he sees James and John in the boat with Zebedee, their father, and he says, come follow me. What's interesting is he looked them eye to eye, face to face. He called them by name and he says these words, you come follow me. Friends, the same is true for us. Whether we grew up in the church and over time we began to realize that Jesus was whispering and calling our name or maybe we had a mountaintop experience on a mission trip, we have been called by name. God has looked each of us now and he said, David or Glenn or Mary or Elizabeth, I've called you by name and you are mine. Come, follow me. That's why when we baptize infants, we ask the parents, what name is given this child? It's the initiation into the family of God. But we begin this process where they recognize that they are known by name to the one up high. Or we baptize an adult, the phrase that we use with them is, what name does God know you by? And God calls us by name and says, come, follow me. Now, there are other callings, there are professional callings, like the high calling to be a teacher or a police officer or a first responder or a mental health professional. And our world needs more folks to answer that call. There's no doubt about it. Whether there's a calling to something else, an engineer or a banker or a chef or a lawyer or a doctor, maybe even a minister. But there is nothing more important than that first calling where God looks us in the eye and calls us by name and says, come, follow me, listen to me, watch what I do, internalize what I do, adopt it, emulate it, because I love you so much and I love the world so much, I want you to follow me and show the world what that looks like. When we start with our calling, it sets the tone for our life and for this idea that we have of discipleship. But just as we begin to understand that we are called, we remember what happened to the first disciples when they were called. They knew that they were giving up something. Remember, the first four were fishermen, and Jesus called him out of the boat, said, leave it behind and follow me. There's an obvious that there is a cost there. The world of economics, we think of things like as choices, as opportunity costs. If you choose to go to the game, then you're giving up doing something else. If you choose to eat this, then you're giving up the opportunity to eat that. If you choose to go to this college, you give up the opportunity to take this job or to go to that college. 
So in this text today, Jesus is focusing on this idea of the cost. I mean, three times he says, whoever doesn't do blank can't be my disciple. He's laying out for us what the opportunity costs are. He wants to help us and see what it is that we need to understand in order to be better disciples, better followers of Jesus. So that first one says, whoever doesn't hate their family, their mom, their dad, their brother, their sister, their spouse, or their child. Now he doesn't mean that literally. What he's talking about allegorically is he's talking about allegiances. Who do we put first in our lives? He challenges us to think about that. It's like saying, yeah, I'm a Braves fan except for when the Yankees are in town. I mean, first of all, why are you a Yankees fan? But anyway, why would you do that? Either be a Braves fan or don't be a Braves fan. Or maybe it's like this saying, I follow Jesus except for when it cramps my lifestyle. Jesus wants us to put Jesus first. The second one, this idea about carrying the cross, it's about really facing trial and tribulation of faith and being faithful people, knowing that it's not always going to be sunshine and roses, that there will be some days that we are going to be persecuted because of our faith, because of our beliefs, because we are different than what the world says we should do. But friends, let me be really clear. We can't accept sweet Jesus if we're not willing to undergo the suffering that Jesus did. We can't accept the goodness of the gospel if we're not willing to experience also the pain that comes with it. And finally, this idea of possessions, what he's really talking about is do we, do we really count the costs? Are we willing to give up things of value for the thing that's got the greatest value? Are we willing to give up the materialism of the world for the love of God and for our own salvation? That's what Jesus is asking us to do. This idea of counting the cost reminds me of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and his, his sort of treatise on the, the challenge between cheap grace and costly grace. I mean, cheap grace is this idea of accepting forgiveness without real confession, without real contrition. This idea of saying our baptismal vows with our fingers crossed or not making eye contact like we used to do in math or English class, hoping that we wouldn't get called on. Or it's about receiving the sacrament without realizing the true cost of what it meant, of what it means, of the body and blood. Whereas costly grace is measuring and accounting for and owning our own discipleship, owning what that means for us, taking our faith so seriously that we realize what God has wrought in our lives. It's this daily search, it's almost a quest, if you will, to be better followers, to know what it means to be a follower, but to strive every day to do even better than yesterday. To intentionally confess our shortcomings, to repent, to mean that we really work on trying to change our lives because of the one who loves us. It means to double down on our vows of baptism, to truly seek justice and mercy in the world around us, to, to follow John Wesley's three simple rules, to do no harm, to do good, and to stay close to God. It means coming to the table not for a snack, but with a conviction of heart that this bread, this wine, 
that they are the meal of the kingdom and that it demands the best from you and from me. See, it's only when we take into account the cost do we understand the power and depth of our discipleship, the power and depth of that calling that Christ has placed on our lives. But once we come to terms with sort of this intentionalness of the calling, this idea that we are called by name face to face, eye to eye, that we begin to understand what it means to follow, that we're its allegiance to God only, that we're going to go through the trial and tribulation of faith, that we are going to weigh the cost for the pearl of greatest price. Only when we've done that do we realize what it really takes. We realize that it really takes what everyone that has risen to the top of their field or profession endeavor that what they know, that true success, that maximizing our potential as followers of Jesus Christ takes commitment. It takes commitment and devotion. It takes commitment and focus that we've got to say, we've got to practice our faith and our discipleship with that intentionality, that intensity of focus. I know that some of you are golfers because you tell me about your golf game and I'm really amazed. Uh, let me just tell you that I play a game that looks like golf. I mean, I've got the shoes, I've got the clubs. I bought a dozen golf balls the first time I did this. And I'm proud to say that's the only dozen golf balls I have ever bought. I have four dozen golf balls in the garage. My gift to the game of golf is that I am a natural golf ball retriever. I can hit a golf ball and I can find three more. Anytime in the woods. If you need golf balls, come see me. Take me out on the course with you. I can find them. My game is terrible. I would never claim to be a golfer. But I know this. But I know that if I wanted to be better at it, I know that it would take dedication. It would take practice regularly. It would involve taking lessons. It would involve being focused on it, trying to improve my game, that it would be something more than just something that I do for the occasional Captain's Choice charity tournament. Friends, our practice of faith is just like that. If we want to reach our potential, if we really want to do what Jesus calls us to do, to be the best disciples that we are called to be, then it takes commitment it takes daily practice of faith, daily commitment to what we are called to do, to who we are called to be. Which brings me back to my friend Tony. I mean, Tony is a true Gamecock fan. I mean, he's got the, he knows the cheers, the shirts. He sticks with the team, the good, the bad, the ugly. He stays all four quarters. And I think he understands what Jesus meant by this text. I think he would understand that. And he would say, if I said, Tony, put this in the context he would say that we are called specifically, individually, that we are called to follow Christ. The cost is that we've got to be all in because Christ was all in for us. And the commitment to this calling is a daily practice. There is no division in our lives where it's church life and work life and home life and night life. No, it's all life that God expects of us. It's our total life. Because the heart of a disciple is committed to following Jesus Christ all four quarters of our lives, day in and day out. Let us remember that as we come to this table 
and receive the meal of the kingdom, the body and blood of the one who loves us most. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m. Blessings. Blessings.